This Sunday is a funny in-between time. In most years, the Sunday after Thanksgiving is also the first Sunday of Advent, the Sunday when we light the hope candle and sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and begin in earnest our wait for the arrival of the Christ child. But this year, because Christmas Eve falls on a Sunday, we have an extra Sunday before Advent begins. You can see some of this in-between time in our sanctuary. We are mostly decorated for Advent and Christmas already, but the pyramids on the pulpit and the communion table are, are still green because we're technically still in ordinary time. In the liturgical calendar, this is called Christ the King Sunday, when we wrap up the church year by celebrating Jesus as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Yes, this is the last Sunday of the liturgical year. Next week, we will begin a new year with the first Sunday of Advent. Like the end of any year, it's a time to look back at what we've accomplished and look forward to our hopes and dreams for the year to come. It's a chance for us to reconsider how we want to live our lives as followers of Jesus. And the scripture that Rebecca just read this morning gives us a clear roadmap for the year to come. The prophecy of the sheep and the goats wraps up the section of Matthew's Gospel that we've been studying for the last few weeks. This cluster of scriptures, known as the Judgment Discourse, appears just before the story of Jesus' Passion and includes seven different stories about the Kingdom of Heaven. We've examined important themes like waiting, being prepared, and using the talents we've been given. Today we turn our attention to a familiar story that lays out a very clear picture of how we are to follow Christ in our day-to-day -day lives. This tale of the sheep and the goats is well known. I know I quote pieces of it often in sermons, and many other ministers do too, because it paints a vivid picture that's easy to remember. In many ways, this story is the climax of Matthew's story of the life of Jesus. And it has a very different feel from some of the stories right before it. This story is a prophecy of what's going to happen at the second coming, not just a parable told to illustrate a point. Jesus begins with a grand picture of the coming of the new age. When the Son of Man comes in all his glory and all the angels with him, that he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from his goats. He will put the sheep on his right hand and the goats at the left. It's a dramatic picture, and it's a story that's unique to Matthew. Jesus talked throughout the Gospels about the coming kingdom of God that would be different from the evil of the current day. But Matthew's Gospel is the only book that shares such a vivid picture of what that new age will be like. As we talked about a couple weeks ago, the idea of the coming of the Son of Man was familiar to the people hearing this story. The Jewish people of ancient Jerusalem had been waiting for the Messiah and the new kingdom of God for a long, long time. They told stories about it for thousands of years and they had a clear picture of what it would be like. A new leader, the Christ, the Messiah, would appear with trumpets and fanfare, and this person would be a great military leader that everyone would recognize. 
This is also a story of contrasts, sheep and goats. Jesus told his followers that the sheep would be blessed by God and inherit the kingdom, and the goats would be cursed and sent to the eternal fire. The listeners would have understood the difference between sheep and goats. Shepherds in ancient Palestine would often be in charge of both sheep and goats. During the day, the shepherds would allow them to intermingle, but at night, sheep would sleep out in the open air, and goats would be herded into a stable because they needed the warmth of close quarters. Jesus' followers would have known why it's better to be a sheep than a goat. Sheep are quiet and easily led, yet they're also loyal and they live in herds. The male sheep protect the females from danger. Goats tend to be independent, headstrong, and aggressive, and they don't protect their mates from danger. The word goat was widely used as a derogatory term in biblical times, as a symbol of a selfish and undisciplined life. Even as Jesus began to tell this story, the listeners would have recognized that they wanted to be sheep, not goats. And the explanation of Jesus gave of why the, sheep were goat, were, why the sheep were rewarded and the goats were banished was startling. When Jesus told the people on his right that they had already fed the Messiah when he was hungry and clothed him when he was naked, they were confused and asked, Lord, when did we care for you? What they were thinking was probably something like, we haven't seen a new king yet. The world doesn't appear to have changed much. How can this be the coming of the new age we've been waiting for? But Jesus explained that those on the right, the sheep, didn't inherit the kingdom because Jesus was a powerful military leader. No, those who inherited the kingdom did so because they had spent their lives helping the least of these. They fed the hungry, gave the thirsty something to drink, and the naked something to wear. They welcomed strangers, visited those in prison, and took care of people who were sick. They took time to notice those who were hurting, to recognize their needs, and to care for them. And the ones on the left, the goats, did none of those things. So was Jesus telling his followers and us that our place in God's kingdom must be earned through good works? In other words, if we want to get to heaven, do we need to go out, find a certain number of people who are needy, and help them? Not exactly. Jesus made it clear from the beginning of this story that the kingdom of God had been prepared for us, each and every one of us, from the beginning of time. We don't have to earn God's good grace or do a certain number of good deeds to impress God. So what does this scripture passage mean for us today in Lawrenceville, Georgia, if it's not telling us to work hard to earn our place with God? At its most basic, the story we just heard about the sheep and goats is a personal message to each and every one of us who call ourselves followers of Christ to live out our faith by giving unselfishly to the least of these. Such a simple message when we hear it but so challenging to actually live out. And yet there are at least three important themes in this story that can help us better understand how to live our lives as people of faith and as a church community located in a growing community that needs us. 
The first lesson is that caring for others is how we live out our faith in a loving God. The sheep weren't feeding the hungry and caring for the sick in order to earn a reward or look good in front of Jesus, but because caring for others was a deeply ingrained part of who they were. And they were not visiting those in prison to impress God, but because they were focused on the needs of others rather than themselves. In ancient culture, prison was a place where people stayed while they awaited trial, instead of a place for long-term punishment as it is today. When someone was imprisoned in ancient times, the family was expected to provide the, for the prisoners food, clothing, and other basic needs. Prisoners who did not have family had to rely on the kindness of neighbors or strangers to survive. The sheep who visited the prisoner in this story were caring for people who had nobody and nothing else. Caring for people in this unselfish way is one way we can and should respond to the grace of our generous God. We see many modern-day examples of people who care for those in need. Last Sunday, former First Lady Rosalind Carter died at age 96. She and her husband Jimmy spent their lives, including the more than 40 years since they left the White House, modeling how to care for others. When Mr. Carter was inaugurated, the family walked from the Capitol to the White House rather than be transported in a fancy procession. They were the first first family to do this, and now it's a common part of inaugurations. Mrs. Carter was a tireless advocate for mental health, both as First Lady and after her husband left office. She was one of the first to push for easily available mental health care close to home, and one of the first to call for us to reduce the stigma around mental health challenges. The Carters were, of course, also well known for their work with Habitat for Humanity, building houses to provide safe, stable living conditions for families. The Carters continued volunteering at Habitat Builds well into their 90s, uh, contributing to the building of more than 4,300 houses. We don't all have the national visibility that the Carters have had, but we can still follow their example by putting our time and energy into activities that help others. The second key lesson from this story is that ministry is messy and challenging and sometimes takes us, takes us to places that are uncomfortable. The sheep in this story stepped outside their comfort zone to help those who needed them. In the same way, we are called to move beyond what is familiar and comfortable inside our church building to minister to and with those who need us. Our faith would be easier in some ways if God just called us to gather in churches and pray or meet with people who are just like us and talk about our common beliefs. But this passage makes it clear that we are called to leave our comfort zone and go help those in need. All of us are ministers because we have accepted the call to follow Jesus. And we have the responsibility to live out our faith actively. Failing to notice those around us who need help just to survive or seeing them and failing to respond makes us like goats rather than sheep. On this weekend when we have just celebrated Thanksgiving, it's hard not to think about those who are hungry. Unfortunately, thousands upon thousands of God's children go hungry every day, 
including many children and families in our very backyard. And even though there are wonderful organizations like the Lawrenceville Co-op that feed hundreds of people in our community every week, the needs of the hungry may feel overwhelming sometimes. It's tempting sometimes to just look away and pretend we don't see. How do we know who really needs us and who doesn't? Do we need to give money to every homeless person standing on the street corner holding a sign that asks for help? Should we send money to every organization who shares videos of hungry children? Are we called to give to every nonprofit with a worthwhile mission that shows up in our mailbox or email or social media? How can each of us find a balance where, where we are caring for the least of these without being so overwhelmed by the needs of the world that we give up and don't do anything? The good news is there's a third important lesson in the story of the sheep and the goats, a lesson of grace and community. God knows that we are all human, and none of us is perfect in noticing and responding to other people's needs. The good news is we're not alone when we go out into a world that's hurting and needy. God is with us as we reach out and help. God expects each of us to show compassion and help those who need our help. But God does not expect any of us to, to take on the task of feeding the world or caring for everyone who's sick by ourselves. The story of the sheep and the goats makes it clear that we're called to respond to the needs of those around us. But sometimes that feels hard. Noticing is easy. Responding is what calls us out of our comfort zones, to do things that are difficult and messy. How do we do that? Sometimes it's just a matter of jumping in and trying something new. About a year after Hurricane Katrina, I was in the New Orleans area for a conference, and we set aside a day while we were there to help with hurricane recovery. We connected with an organization in St. Bernard Parish, just outside New Orleans, and were assigned to do mold remediation in a house that had been flooded, cleaned out, and stripped down to the studs. It was hot, dirty, tiring work. We had to scrub each board of the house with a scrub brush to wake up the mold hiding in the wood, then wipe down each surface multiple times with an incredibly strong bleach solution, all while wearing respirator masks and goggles and zip-up suits to keep the mold away from us. Although most of us had never done this kind of work before, we jumped in and helped a family take a step back toward normalcy after their home was destroyed. Here at Lawrenceville First Christian, we're finding new ways to jump in and live out our collective faith by helping others in innovative ways. We are planning a food drive for the co-op in 2024, specifically to collect canned tuna, chicken, and other meat products that are in a specially short supply. We've also begun exploring other ways to help those who are hungry. The outreach team is planning a little free pantry to be placed at the church, a place where people who are hungry can pick up simple snacks to eat until their next meal. As a community, we are finding ways to feed the hungry as Jesus taught us. And our congregation is also providing other kinds of care for those who are in need. The church provides space for family promise, which helps families by providing temporary shelter, food, and other basic necessities as the families work towards stable employment and housing. In August, we collected enough school supplies to make large deliveries to three local schools 
Cedar Hill Elementary, Richards Middle School, and Central Gwinnett High School. We are currently collecting gift cards to help families at Cedar Hill buy Christmas gifts for their children. We also care for others through the birthday and anniversary cards that Disciples Women send, through our Blanket Sunday dona donations for Church World Service, for providing space for blood drives and health screenings, and there are many, many more examples of living out our faith by supporting those in need. The need around us is great. And by feeding the hungry, visiting the lonely, and taking care of the sick, we are taking small steps to live out our faith in ways that Jesus taught. We're in an interim period right now as a congregation, a time when we're looking forward to our future and discerning the ways that God is calling us to live out our faith. It's an exciting time, but also an uncertain time. During times of uncertainty, it can be tempting to close ranks, to huddle together as a community, and to just focus on ourselves. But this passage from Matthew's Gospel reminds us that just taking care of ourselves is not what Jesus calls us to do. Connecting with others is the most important way to be church together. The story of the sheep and goats is a clear call to be other-focused, to step outside our walls and our usual ways of being church, and to do things that may make us feel uncomfortable in order to minister those who most need us. And it's a call to each and every one of us, whether you're young or old or somewhere in between, whether you're able-bodied or have limitations or somewhere in between, whether you're rich or poor or somewhere in between. My challenge for us as a congregation, and for each of us as individuals, for I include myself as well, is to keep our eyes open, to notice and pay attention to the people around us, especially those who look different, or worship differently, or don't have the privileges and resources we have. God doesn't ask us to do things we're not capable of doing. We're not asked to heal the sick, but simply to care for them. Even the simplest actions can make a difference. Smile at the person you pass on the street. Send a card or text or note or email to someone to let them know you care. Buy an extra sandwich or cup of coffee or pair of gloves and give it to the person standing on the street corner. Take time to talk to someone you don't know in our church or somewhere else and hear their story. Let people know they're not alone that they are important. Caring may be uncomfortable or inconvenient for us, but we do it as our most important way of living out our belief in a caring and gracious God who loves each and every person as a beloved child. Some of you may remember David Pollock. He was a linebacker for the Georgia Bulldogs from 2001 to 2004, and then played for the Cincinnati Bengals until he was badly injured in a game in 2006. Since then, he has been a football commentator and appeared in multiple commercials. But what you may not know about David Pollock is that he and his wife, Lindsay, created the Pollock Family Foundation to care for families and children in the Athens area, including addressing childhood obesity. On Thanksgiving Day this year, the Pollocks and about 100 of their friends prepared and served the Banquet of Blessings, a Thanksgiving feast for more than 1,000 people in Athens who were hungry. For two and a half hours, they provided good food, a warm place to sit, hot tea, good conversation, 
warm sleeping bags, and other necessities for the visitors, the majority of whom are currently unhoused. Hundreds of people and businesses contributed thousands of dollars and thousands of hours to help make this day a reality. But it wasn't a publicity stunt or a way for the Pollocks to get attention. It wasn't even particularly noticed by the media. It was a heartfelt attempt to feed the hungry and welcome the stranger, to care for the least of these. Jesus himself calls each and every one of us to be sheep instead of goats, to step outside our comfortable lives for the discomfort and challenge and messy ministry of helping those who need us most. Some of you are already there. Some are just getting started. And some are waiting for the right time. Even if you're not sure you're ready, will you take a deep breath with me now? And let your faith in a loving God guide you. Because as we get ready to move into a season of welcoming the Christ child, God's world needs all of us to take on this messy ministry of caring about each other more than we even realize. Amen.